Welcome once again to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I am your host, Adam Chapman, and this is episode 5, which is comic reviews for August 29th releases. Before we get into the episode, I just wanted to issue a small apology. Originally on the episode 4, where we did the comic reviews for August 22nd releases, I had mentioned that the next episode, episode which was supposed to be episode 5, was going to be uh, a top 5 X-Men, uh, sorry, top 5 favorite X-Men and least favorite X-Men stories or issues that I was going to be doing with my special guest, Paul Scores. Unfortunately, due to scheduling issues, uh, we weren't able to get that episode uh, recorded yet, so uh, episode 5 is now going to be the uh, audio reviews for all comics released on August 29th. However, uh, episode 6 now will be that episode with the top uh, top five favorite and least favorite X-Men stories. However, instead of just having one guest, we're actually going to have an extra special guest. So our next episode will be Paul Scores, my uh, brother-in-law, as well as my best friend Nathan Strzok, who's a big X-Men fan, and I'm looking forward to having that conversation with them. Um, and that'll be in the next episode. Uh, I'm hoping that we'll have some very different ideas on what our favorite X-Men stories really are, and that's a really key uh, word there is favorite. I didn't want to do best X-Men stories. I wanted to be our personal favorites so that we'll have some odd stuff that may not even be that good, might just be flavored by nostalgia, but that's why we like it, or for whatever variety of reasons, we we find that they're our favorite or least favorite stories. So I am excited about that, and hopefully you are too. So that'll be episode number six. But for now, let's jump into episode number five, which is comic reviews for August 29th releases. This week uh, kind of felt like last week. I mean, it is a fifth week, so it kind of felt like we had some stuff that really wasn't that hot, but uh, wasn't wasn't necessarily awful either. <laughs> Not that that's a, a ringing endorsement by any means, but I found that there was a lot of kind of eh, um, kind of medium books this week. There was a lot of stuff that didn't necessarily grab me, didn't necessarily make me angry either. It just kind of was there, and it was okay, but it wasn't much more than that. There was a few highlights, and we'll get to that, so first book on the list is uh, from DC Comics, and it's Aquaman number 12. Um, Jeff Johns has done almost the impossible um, that hasn't been done since, I guess, Peter David wrote Aquaman, which is make Aquaman really cool. Although Peter David's Aquaman was more, let's let's rip off his arm, let's have him lose his arm and have a hook and have him be very different and gritty. And uh, this version of Aquaman is much more kind of classic superhero, kind of embracing what Aquaman, what could be silly about Aquaman, but making it all work. Uh, this issue is by Jeff Johns and Ivan Reyes. Um, absolutely fantastic. I mean, it looks fantastic. Uh, Jeff Johns really gets how to kind of put together a solid superhero story. I mean, sometimes he gets kind of stuck and mired in other things, as we'll get to when we get to the Green Lantern Annual. However, in this book, it just felt very unencumbered. It felt very simple to understand, yet very layered. Um, I mean, you have Aquaman versus Black Manta. You have Mira and the others going to to his uh, to his side, trying to uh, make you know assist him uh, during his battle. Very solid, very well done. Uh, there's surprising a bit of emotion and sentimentality when one of the when the characters spoilers uh, dies. Um, and it was it was kind of a touching moment. What was weird about it though is that it's not the end of the storyline, um, which kind of would have made more sense because. You'd expect that in issue issue twelve it would end. It would end the storyline. Like if you look at Wonder Woman, her the major arc for the year was over with issue number twelve. This one, 
not necessarily true. The big kind of ending is more going to be an issue 13. That's the conclusion, but what's even stranger is that next month is issue number zero. So issue number zero, we get the kind of a flashback kind of idea, and then we get to what the cliffhanger to this issue is leading to, which is Aquaman versus uh, Black Manta for good this time. Um, so that was that. That felt a little weird. Artwork fantastic. Ivan Reyes is a brilliant storyteller. His artwork, his artwork is very good in kind of a Jim Lee from maybe eight years kind of way. Like I find the recent Jim Lee hasn't been nearly as solid, but um, it's it's got a really nice bit of polish. But he also has a fair bit of storytelling as well. Uh, very great looking characters. Um, just a very strong visual. Uh, it's obviously the probably the coolest Aquaman has ever looked, and the storyline definitely is probably the, the one of the better Aquaman stories I've read in quite some time, and it's very, very engaging. So that uh, was de- it's definitely worth reading if you're not reading Aquaman. Uh, a year ago, I would have been like, why would you be wor- reading Aquaman? But now it's like, why wouldn't you? It's really, really good. So I gave that a 9 out of 10. So we're starting off on a high note. Uh, next is Avenging Spider-Man number 11. Um... <laughs> This issue felt like it's been done so many times that I didn't really care to see it again. Uh, it's, I mean, Avenging Spider-Man is a team-up kind of issue anyway, is a series about team-ups anyway, so this one is basically Aunt May and Peter Parker go to Uncle Ben's grave and have a conversation, and it's the 50th anniversary of Spider-Man, it makes sense to kind of do this kind of story, but it's been done to death, and it's been done better. Uh, this particular issue is by Zeb Wells and Steve Dillon. Zeb Wells is a good writer, um, he, he can usually... You kind of nail the different facets of Spider-Man's character, and it does an okay job here. It's just the problem is that it doesn't feel original or new or fresh. It just feels like I've I've read this before. I've read Paul Jenkins do stuff like this. It just it didn't feel like it added anything new to the mythos, to the canon, to that relationship between uh, Aunt May and Peter Parker. It just kind of felt like it was there. It was a retread. Um, it's not necessarily badly written, it's just unoriginal and uninteresting as a result. It's not really his fault in terms of the way that the actual um, series, is, uh, sorry, storyline is constructed and, and, and told in the script. It's just, it's been done. So, originality kind of really knocks this one down, because otherwise it may have been a little bit better. What doesn't help is that Steve Dillon does the artwork, and I just don't understand Steve Dillon's appeal. I find his artwork so flat and emotionless. The characters have no sense of nuance. Uh, they just look like undead zombies, and they don't even age well. And there's definitely a progression in the script where you have like a younger Peter Parker and like a now Peter Parker. And it just the characters are ugly. Uh, it's not an attractive look. It's a talking heads issue, and that you you can only really pull off talking heads like if you're Mark Bagley doing Ultimate Spider-Man, and you're able to. Uh, really nail the nuance and and uh, sophistication of a, a nonverbal uh, segment where it's just you know body language and, and facial expressions and these looks like if you read Ultimate Spider-Man 13, there's a lot of looks, knowing looks in that issue, and you get so much from not just from the really tight script, but also some, from some really good artwork that really evokes a lot of emotion. This evoked no emotion. It was really a mistake. Um, uh, I just, I kind of, I felt like at the end of this issue, it's like, that's it, it's over, who cares, like, what was the point of that, uh, especially with this series having generally had a really fun 
you know, kind of light, happy tone and really good team-ups. This just really felt like it didn't need to happen. The artwork wasn't wasn't there at all. It was lifeless. It, it added nothing. And the script was really kind of boring because it's been done before. And if this had been the first time it had been done, it would have been great, but it's not. And if you're going to do something that's been done so many times before, you have to make it more exciting. You have to make it different. You have to make it more memorable and this just wasn't after i was done i was like well that's it and i'll probably forget it tomorrow it's just that it's very unengaging it's not interesting i gave that a five out of ten uh next we have avx versus number five um is it wrong one of my favorite things about this series is reading the recap page just the fact that they're like hey you want story don't look here this is just big dumb battles um that being said the first battle is uh between angel and um, and Hawkeye, and that's by Matt Fraction, which makes sense because he's writing Hawkeye's own adventures in, in uh, the new Hawkeye ongoing. And it's penciled by Lionel Francis Yu. And the second story is Black Panther vs. Storm, with Jason Aaron writing and Tom Rainey doing artwork. Uh, first story looks great. Um, having Angel and Hawkeye fight, I don't even I don't know where this takes place. Don't know what the context is or why. That being said, it was a pretty good fight, although I don't understand how Fraction decided to write Angel. It just, like, it just didn't feel like the Angel who I was really depicted in, in Wolverine and the X-Men. Even Psylocke really felt a little out of place. Um, Hawkeye felt right, but then that's not really a surprise because, you know, it's written by Matt Fraction. Uh, Lana Francis Yu did some really great artwork, very gritty and some really good storytelling it just looks exciting it looks like a brutal brutal fight so i like that um i just wish that it had made more sense um and that it felt a little bit more like it needed to happen like some of the fights were we could see where they're branching off from they seem more exciting and they're like whoa what's going to happen next i just didn't understand what the point of this one was at the end it was brutal and, and violent but that was about it uh, next we have, as I said, uh, Jason Aaron and Tom Rainey doing Storm vs. Black Panther. Not exactly sure where and when this takes place or why they're even fighting at this point. Because again, it feels very like we've, we've moved beyond this, so what's the point? Um, and the fight just really felt like it didn't need to happen. I think when this issue was first solicited, uh, it wasn't, like, no one realized that they were actually going to annul their marriage. And so them actually having, like, a fight actually seemed a little bit more interesting. Now it just seems like we're just kind of throwing more more crap on their on what isn't even a marriage anymore. It's got annulled and it's over. Uh, so I just don't know really what the point was. And what was even the point of their fight? Like, it was a cool fight because you have conflicting narration and from both sides of the coin. But at the end of the day, did it need to happen? Does it add anything to these characters? Not really. It was an okay fight, and but the artwork by Tom Rainey did not do the characters any real service. Felt it was kind of lackluster. Uh, it could have been stronger. It could have been more meaningful. The ending was interesting though, because with every every versus, there's always a you know winner, and and in this case, it just said winner question mark, and then you just see a wedding ring, and there are no winners here, and that's kind of sad. And it's weird to have an issue of a series where it's basically, we're not doing characterization, we're just focusing on fights, and we're having a big fun time. And then to have an ending like that, which is so, like, you know, kind of sad, and, you know, it's meant to be sad. It's meant to be kind of like, you know, there's no winners here, this sucks. Uh, You know, no one's out on top of this one. No one feels good about it. 
it just felt like making it real like i and i that didn't make any sense why why are you trying to make this book which is about big dumb fights make it real you know bring it down if you're not you know make it real world that just seemed unnecessary and kind of awkward anyway next up sorry my rating for that one was seven and a half out of ten uh because although it didn't necessarily need to happen it looked good it definitely was better than avenging spider-man as a comparison point it could have been more it could have been a lot more but it also could have been a lot less i guess so it's kind of middle of the road it leads us to before watchmen the but the minutemen number three this is a great book uh darwin cook is just killing it it's got a great sensibility i like the flashback uh, being the majority issue, I also like we have some of it in the, I guess the quote-unquote Watchmen present, or at least closer to the present uh, of when Watchmen takes place. Um, just I really like seeing what these characters were like, how they're dealing with certain events that happen in the original Watchmen series, but in flashbacks we never really got to see more of like what does happen to comedian uh, after he tries to rape Silk Spectre or does rape Silk Spectre. Um, you know, what happens? Um, so the, I like that they're kind of looking at things that are actual uh, elements that were never really filled in and doing a pretty good job of it and doing it in a way that makes sense. And uh, I do like how the comedian is portrayed and how it kind of he really kind of draws a line on the sand. And this is the, the old version of the comedian. This happened. He was kicked out of the Minutemen. And then he becomes this version of the comedian. And that's cool. Um, I really, really like... Night Owl being the protagonist here. I think he's a great lead. Uh, I really like how he has the relationship with uh, one of the other members of the team, how he operates, and how he's able to kind of balance his life somehow as a, both a cop and a vigilante. But it's really cool. And I, and I like his relationship with Doc, uh, Dollar Bill, uh, helping him out uh, on a gig, and how Dollar Bill feels about gays. And it's actually pretty interesting. Um, uh, one of the big highlights, obviously, as much as the script is, is pretty good, the artwork is just incredible. Uh, Darwin Cook has such a natural ability to tap into this kind of old-school uh, retro look in a comic book, which looks still so fresh and vibrant, and he really knocked this one out of the park. Um, before watching The Minimum number 3, giving that one an 8 out of 10. It leads us to Captain Marvel number three, one of my most disappointing launches of 2012, because I was so excited about this book, and I just found it's really let me down. Um, so you got Kelly Sue DeConnick writing it with Dexter Soy and art. Um, I'm not quite sure what I'm more disappointed in, if it's the writing or the art. Um, I... It's, sorry, I apologize. It's not like it's totally bad. It's not a bad comic, per se. Like, I've read bad comics. This is more like, why? Um, like, you have, you know, this women, this squad of women in, uh, you know, fighting in World War II, uh, or fighting in, like, a retro war, and there's Kree warships, and just a lot of weird stuff, and I'm not really sure what the point of it all is. And I guess that's what bugs me more, is it not knowing why is this really happening the way it's happening? Um, I like the, I like the idea that Carol was tossed in time. I like that she met her mentor when she was young. I don't like that it's suddenly the Kree starship and, like, Kree tech is there, and they're teaming up, she's kind of teaming up with this little women's squad, and I guess it's like a women power kind of thing, and I don't know, I, I feel like there's more promise in, prem, in the premise of the first two issues, and this issue felt like it kind of went off the rails a bit, and the artwork is just not for me. Um... 
the artwork on the covers is so elegant and smooth and very light. And then when you actually get into the issue, it's so heavily colored and inked, and it just drowns itself in these in this heaviness, and it just doesn't feel nearly as light as it should. Uh, it just feels a little disappointing. It, this is a character who should always always had a sense of humor and and been a bit of a lighter character even during our darker periods uh except obviously when she was an alcoholic this just felt different and weird and it's not the greatest it's not the greatest version of the character i've ever read and i still don't understand why she's captain marvel and why she's wearing this costume and i guess i should stop fixating on these things but if you're going to make such a huge change to a character who is a long-standing name as miss marvel or warbird or binary i guess she's had three different names but if you're going to make a change and make her Captain Marvel, which is associated with her but not as a name that she's ever used, you, you know, maybe maybe explain why she's decided to use that besides Captain America giving her a pep talk and saying that she's earned it. When did she not feel like she earned it before? I just think that it, it feels odd. She's got this new costume with a crazy weird mask thing that's technology and... I just, I'm not a fan of that either. Uh, I just, I don't think there's been enough explanation of why she's acting this way, why she's dressing this way, why she's calling herself this. And I shouldn't get so hung up on this, but it's a new book and you're not explaining a huge change to this character. And that feels like a wasted opportunity and something that's just been pissed away. And that's a mistake in my eyes. Uh, so I'm going to give that a 7 out of 10. Brings us to Detective Comics Annual number 1. Uh... This is, I don't really get why this issue necessarily had to happen this way. I'm surprised that they're doing it annuals for some of the books and not all of them. Um, and it's a Batman vs. Black Mask story. It's not bad. It it just kind of happens. Um, I didn't find it really moved me any which way. Um, maybe part of it is because I don't really care about Black Mask, or especially this version of Black Mask, and how he acts with his mask. Uh, the artwork is not by Tony Daniel, um, so that's kind of a giant, you know, mark against it. And I think that would have made this issue a lot more interesting. Uh, the artwork is just kind of boring. Um, uh, as I said, it's Tony S. Daniel writing. It's Romano Molinar is the penciler of the first half, and uh, Pere Perez is the penciler of the second half. Um, I didn't find it was all that great. Uh, I found it lacked. Uh, it, it, there was not a lot of. It didn't feel like there was a lot of consistency throughout the book. And obviously, when you change artists, it's going to change anyway. But the artists' styles didn't quite mesh together. The story with Black Mask, I honestly kind of I felt bored by it. I couldn't wait for this should be over. Uh, I don't find this version of Black Mask to be all that interesting a character. The only interesting part was how somehow Black Mask had used his abilities to make Jeremiah um, Arkham uh, think that he he had been in prison all this time, even though he had actually escaped during the Night of the Owls. That was the only kind of interesting part. The rest of it, I was kind of like, is this issue over yet? If the artwork had been done by Daniel, I might have been a little bit more interested, but the artwork just wasn't entertaining me. I didn't find the story all that entertaining. Um, so I actually gave that a 6 out of 10 um, and I almost think I was more charitable than I needed to be uh, brings us to FF number 21 this book is about to end um, obviously it's, it's approaching its end it's really weird because it doesn't feel like Hickman's quite reached that point where he's about to wrap everything up per se but uh, but he is because I mean we're about to go into Marvel now and obviously he's la he's leaving this book and it's getting either relaunched or 
or just taken over. Um, I'm not actually sure of which those are. I didn't really get a lot of what this was supposed to be about. Um, the last few issues have been more about the Future Foundation. This one, we have the premise uh, swinging back to see, you know, uh, there's now a peace that's been uh, struck up between the Kree and the Inhumans, which is actually a pretty big deal, but the only way for the peace to go through is that uh, Ronan must go with, back with the Kree and essentially cut ties with Crystal, and there goes their love. Uh, I was really sad by this, to be honest with you. I, I thought them being married was actually... a something that uh, he had used to great effect. I mean, it's been over the last few years, it's been a, a recurring plot point. I love how Ronan has actually developed the personality, and this felt like a regression. Um, kind of, there's been so much development with these two characters, and it just felt like they kind of threw it away. I don't really understand, I still don't really quite get this version of Supreme War, because he's not the original Supreme War, because he was born from the Supreme War seed, and then built off of the psyches of two different versions of uh, Reed Richards from the Council of Reeds. Um, I'm not a big fan of how they're kind of portrayed, and Black Bolt, I'm still not a big fan of him having come back in the first place. They did some good things with him since his return, but I still thought his return in the first place just felt very arbitrary. Uh, so this issue kind of didn't go anywhere for me because it just kind of ended something that I didn't think needed to be ended. Um, it kind of wasn't the greatest way to split these two characters up. Um, the actual Future Foundation and Reed and Sue... They were in the issue, but they didn't necessarily play a huge, like, major role. Um, it just felt like a bit of a... It wasn't firing on, on all cylinders. So I... And the only thing... I do like the title of the issue was Ronance. That was funny. Good job, Hickman. If you came up with that yourself, good job. Art was by Nick Dragota. I usually really like his stuff. I really found it revolting, this issue. I just found it was... Uh, there were some certain shots of Black Bolt that looked like he was really constipated and really trying to have a shit and almost like yelling about it. Um, the Supreme Intelligence looked terrible. There were some shots. Like, I know it's, he's kind of got a weird visage to begin with, but it, it was just terrible looking. It was not good artwork. And it, it's a lot of the characters just did not look like themselves. The Dragon Man didn't look very good. It just felt very disappointing, and that's just... It, it was it was more upsetting than I would have expected it to be. Uh, overall, I gave the issue about a six and a half, uh, six and a half, seven out of ten. It wasn't all bad. It just kind of was there. The more I think about it, it's probably deserving six and a half. Because like the first read through, I was like, well, okay, well I'll give it a seven. And the more I think about it, the more I talk about it, the more I'm like, no, let's go six and a half or maybe even six. Like it actually wasn't that good. And it it didn't really do much. Um, so you know what? I apologize. I'm, I'm really uh, wavering and waffling on this one. But I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. Uh, that leads us to The Flash Annual number 1. This was a book... Um, the, I like that this annual was bringing to a close a storyline in the main book. Okay, so you're making it so that there's an actual incentive for me to pick up an annual one week after the last issue came out, and it's it's got a purpose, a clear purpose, that it's ending this storyline. Okay, that's cool. I'm all into it. Um, you know, Manipal and Butch... Sorry, I apologize. Buccioletto on, uh, on story. And then you have slightly different artwork throughout the book. Uh, you got Manipal and Toe doing chapter one. I'm um, just flipping through it right now. 
chapter two, you got Ark Manipal does the breakdowns. Scott Collins doing pencils and inks. Uh, brings us to chapter three. Uh, let's see here. Apologize for the delay. Anyways, um, I apologize. I'll have to. I may include that in the show notes that there's. Who did the different art in the different chapters? I can't. I'm just kind of flipping through, and I'm not really finding what I'm looking for. Anyways, um, despite the change in artists throughout the book, I actually saw, felt there was a surprising amount of uh, visual consistency that I really liked. Part of that's due to the colors. Um, it's. I like that it was bringing to bringing to a close the storyline with the rogues gathering up and going up against both Captain Cold and against Flash. I like that it explained how they all got different power, like how they all have biological powers now. Don't think it made a lot of sense necessarily, but I like that they at least explained it. I like that there was use of multiple flashbacks. I actually thought this was perhaps Manipal's best writing so far because it was really well put together. It seemed like he really put a lot of thought into how all the pieces were going to mix together, how he was going to use flashbacks to make it all work and really uh, make the entire thing feel quite meaningful. Um, the only problem was the ending, because it felt like, are you, are you freaking kidding me? Monkeys descending out of nowhere, and here comes guerrilla, like, you know, guerrilla warfare? Really? Uh, I think that was a mistake. I think they should have ended the storyline in a natural way, and not been like, oh look, now there's, now there's monkeys everywhere, oh no, what's gonna happen next? Better, better tune in next issue. Uh, it felt like a real fake out. It felt like, I, it, now this is this is from a reader's perspective. I felt like I was being pitched a big conclusion, and then it wasn't a conclusion at all. It was kind of a conclusion, but then it was just an immediate cliffhanger to the next thing. It was not what I was expecting, not what I was hoping for, and I felt like it was disingenuous as an issue. I felt like it didn't need to happen this way, so I felt very disappointed. Um, but the actual annual itself, for the most part, pretty strong. I gave that a seven and a half out of ten. Brings us to Gambit number two. Uh, here's a book that had a great, great first issue, and it did not manage to keep that momentum up in the second issue. This issue, honest to God, I found it boring. Uh, Asmus and Man are a good team. I just didn't find that this issue was really all that interesting um, or engaging. You know, stuff happens, and there's some antics, and I like the artwork a lot, but... It doesn't make the story any more interesting than it ended up being. Um, couldn't wait for this to be over. It just kind of... Stuff just kind of happened. Um, as much as Asmus didn't really uh, manage to entertain me with his script, uh, Man does uh, some really brilliant artwork. And that kind of made it an easier pill to swallow. It still wasn't necessarily all that good. But uh, I definitely appreciated... Um, the artwork that we got because it was it, it was some really smooth stuff. It was really cool. I like the design on Gambit. I like the costume he's wearing when he's not wearing the trench coat. Uh, it looks great. I just wish it read better, and it doesn't. So I give that a six and a half out of ten. Found it frustrating because with a really tight script, this could have been a fantastic issue just like the first issue, but it just wasn't there. Next up, we have Green Lantern Annual number one. We'll talk about a mess. Um, I went back and forth on the rating for this one. I ended up giving it a 5 out of 10. And you're going to be like, whoa, Adam, that's your lowest rating you've given so far. Are you sure that's fair? Um, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, this is a prologue, so as opposed to the, uh, the Flash book, which felt like the end of a storyline, this is the beginning. Uh, you have Jeff Johns writing it. 
um, with artwork uh, provided by Ether Van Skyver, who is a brilliant artist and really makes this book look fantastic. He is not the reason that this book got a 5 out of 10. This book got a 5 out of 10 because it felt like a giant freaking mess. It felt like just a lot of stuff was happening. It was ending a storyline, um, but not in a really satisfying way, and it's starting up a whole new thing. And it just it just felt like so much of it didn't make any real any sense at all. Like, you have the Guardians... I, I don't like what they're doing with the Guardians at all. I just feel like it's a giant mistake to kind of go this far with them. And then the, the idea that there's, like, these, these hidden Guardians... Um, who've been like hidden away and look like like really weird like dwarf people with crazy beards and like weird clothing like that didn't didn't feel right either and how you know there's a fight sequence between these two different sects of guardians and I just and like the end of the issue didn't make a lot of sense I'm like okay well what just happened where did where did how and Sinestro go are they actually dead how does what does this mean um I I just felt like what was the point? Like it just felt like such a mess, and that so many different ideas were being thrown all in the one, and that none of them were all that interesting. I don't like that now we're having these weird, creepy third army things. I don't even think they look all that interesting, or are that more interesting? Um, uh, I'm can't say I'm looking forward to this whole storyline. This Rise of the Third Army, I just feel like it's going to be a mess. It's going through so many different books, and I just, I have no real belief that they're really all going to be all that interesting. The artwork here is fantastic, uh, not just in the main feature, but also in the backups. Um, it's just the, Jeff Johns' writing is just really, like, I read Aquaman number 12, and I was like, holy crap, that was awesome. And then I read this, and I was like, really? That's that's how you start things? Like, it just felt like a mess. Um, it doesn't help that he's been doing things since Blackest Night, well, really since his entire run with the Guardians, and for everyone who only picked up, you know, with the New 52, are probably scratching their head going, what the hell is happening? And they won't get a clear answer, because this is one of the two books, or two families of books, where everything that happened before did happen and wasn't erased with the other one obviously being Batman and I think that's really a disservice to people who may actually want to be trying this out and seeing what Green Lantern is all about and it's just it's overly confusing it's, it just throws in ridiculous plot points out of nowhere um no no thank you 5 out of 10 not because of Van Skyver Van Skyver is brilliant that brings us to Journey into Mystery, 642. This is a book that I have enjoyed for the most part since for itself. This issue, though, I really found not nearly as interesting. It's part one of six of Everything Burns. You've got Gian and Fraction are writing it with uh, DJ Domenico on artwork. Um, not his greatest stuff, to be honest with you. I'm usually a huge fan of Diego uh, Domenico, um, especially Magneto Testament, uh, Battle and Jack Murdoch. This was still good, but it didn't feel like it was nearly as solid, and I think part of that comes from a really haphazard script, which did not feel good at all. Like, I just, I found the script didn't make a lot of sense at times. Um, Loki wasn't nearly as interesting or as prominent as perhaps he could have been. It's just, this just felt like a bit of a mistake, um, which is really harsh. And I, I don't know. I just I feel like maybe when I read this in collected format, this will read better. But this just didn't work for me at all. 
and uh, I used to, I, I have been really loving this book, and last issue, especially with what happened with Leo, was really good, and then this issue just kind of felt like it happened, and but it didn't really have a lot of personality, and part of it's because you're crossing over this book and Mighty Thor, Mighty Thor I gave up on because I absolutely detested uh, the first 12 issues. The first six issues were bad, but everything after that with Tannerus was just terrible. So I, I look back, I didn't even look back, I just walked away. No, no, nothing in me wants to read that book. So I don't even know what I'm going to do when the next chapter comes out in Mighty Thor, because I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be like, well, I should read that in order to understand Journey to Mystery, even though I think it's terrible. Um, so I think the, the fact that this ties into that storyline with Mighty Thor kind of brought it down a lot. It made it not nearly as interesting. So I gave this issue 6 out of 10. That's kind of a theme so far. Uh, next up, we have Justice League number 12. Um, this issue obviously is selling out everywhere. It's big hullabaloo. You got Superman and Wonder Woman making out on the cover. Thankfully, the in-story reason actually does make a little bit of sense. And I like the idea that they bond over the sense of loneliness and being apart from the world of which they're they're trying to be part of. So that's good. Uh, other than that, Jeff Johns, I really was not all that impressed with this story. Jim Lee's artwork, it's, I don't know what it is, if it's the inks or the colors, but it just doesn't look nearly as strong as it as it could. Like, his artwork is usually really, really good, and this just wasn't, this just wasn't it. This, this was kind of, I hesitate to say terrible, but this just it was not his best. Um, it could have been so much more than this, and yet it wasn't. Um, so it was, it was disappointing. I, it really was. I wanted to. I wanted more from this. The the cover actually looks a lot more cohesive and it looks a lot better. So I don't know what makes that that different. But uh, I should note actually that uh, pages twenty nine to thirty of this issue were done by Ivan Reyes. Like I said, time after doing a brilliant issue of Aquaman, and David Finch did pages thirty one to thirty three, which is about his speed. Um, the actual story here with David Graves being the villain against the Justice League, I still don't find him an interesting villain at all. I didn't find him engaging. Um, I did like the quieter moments at the end. I did like Steve Trevor, um, how he interacts with Wonder Woman. Again, I liked the Wonder Woman-Superman interaction. Um, I liked a little bit of the glimpse we got into the future. Uh, I liked the Green Lantern who left the team. Uh, in, a, in a very, like, Dark Knight kind of way where he's like I'm taking the fall so that the rest of the league can continue so that was nice um, the brief teaser at this what's coming up in the next year of Justice League was pretty cool um, I liked seeing uh, Captain Marvel punching out Superman I liked Aquaman really kind of you know well to be honest with you pulling a Namor and looking like he's about to invade with uh, the people of Atlantis and I like the idea that there's a traitor uh, in the ranks of the Justice League when they open up the ranks. Um, so that's cool. Um, plus, there's the big teaser coming up of next year when we have the uh, the Trinity War. And, you have, and it looks like Superman's doing some really messed up things to Batman beating him up. We've got that new Justice League of America coming up that was announced this past week uh, weekend at Fan Expo. So there's a lot going on in this book. Um... And, but as I said, the actual lead story was the weakest. Give it a seven, a seven out of ten. Ultimately, though, 
Uh, brings us to Justice League International Annual Number One. Book's already been canceled. It's ended with issue twelve, but they gave them an annual. Um, and you know what? This was probably my biggest surprise of the week. I gave this one a nine. I think I gave it a nine point five out of ten, um, or just a nine. Sorry. Uh, I really, really liked it. Uh, the art. It's just. Uh, it was really, really good, and I can't understand how this. Like this is Jeff Johns writing it. This felt like a different Jeff Johns. Like, you have the Jeff, Jeff Johns that writes Green Lantern, which is kind of low, low of the place, who's also writing Justice League. And then you have the Jeff Johns who writes this issue in Aquaman, which are brilliant, um, so, which doesn't make a lot of sense. And a lot of people don't like Dan DiDio, but he was actually a co-writer on this book, um, which is so solid and so different in some ways than the rest of the series, but really, really entertaining. And uh, it takes place after the events of Justice League 12, and it's got art by Jason Fabok. So the uh, the main premise is that you know Booster Gold is kind of sold everyone on the idea that the Justice League is kind of going to accept them finally, and that they're adding some te- new team members. They got the Olympian, they got Blue Beetle, um, and everything seems good. And they have uh, the Omac character is on their team, and then things go very, very bad. Omak gets corrupted by Brother Eye um, and starts tearing up the place and kind of basically dismantles the, the JLI, and they're kind of done. Um, and Booster Gold gets some really good time to shine. But at the end of the day, uh, it's all kind of over, and everyone's kind of left, and it's just the way it is. What... It's a pretty strong issue because it really plays in the ideas that that in this version, the JLI is really not respected and uh, Booster Gold so badly wants it to be like one of the big teams and uh, really wants them to have respect and he's just not getting it. Um, And it's it's actually a lot of fun. It's a really good good fight sequence. It feels really dire because part, part of it's because you know that the book is over and that this is a springboard into something, but we don't know what. And then when you get to the end, you're like, what? Uh, we, you get a time traveler show up, and it's a future version of Booster Gold, and he's talking about Rip. So I I was a huge fan of the old uh, Booster Gold comic um, that was originally launched for Jeff Johns. It was running up until the end of Flashpoint. Um, I really liked him being a time traveler who was trying to set things right. And I liked getting a glimpse into a version of the character that's more similar to that here. Who's like you have to, you know, you have to, and he's he's got a few things that he's trying to tell uh, the younger booster, and he's very vague about it. Uh, he doesn't want Rip to, um, to to kind of track it and erase the conversation, and he's like you have to stop them, you have to stop them. And then just when he thinks he's, you know, he doesn't realize he doesn't have enough time, and then he disappears. And you realize that Superman and Wonder Woman making out apparently is a huge. It, it leads to something. It leads to him being Booster Gold disappearing, and then Booster Gold's like, what am I supposed to do? What's going on? Give me one more chance, and then bam, he just disappears. Um, great ending. Uh, it definitely was like, oh, wow, holy crap, what's going on? And at the end of the issue, you have Batman and Brother Eye correspond, like having a conversation, and uh, there's a new programmer out there, and it's like, what does this mean? And apparently we're going to have, they're going to build on this uh, in the next year in Justice League in some way. Uh, Really excited to see that. Really excited to see what happens with Booster Gold. This issue was fantastic from start to finish. 
great story, great scripting, uh, really tight battle sequence uh, that I really liked. And then you have these plot points at the end that they just kind of throw in there that are very much like, whoa, what's going to happen next? Where did Booster Gold go? What does this mean? What is it, What implication does this have that Superman and Wonder Woman make out and are getting together? What does this mean for the future? Uh, really cool concepts. Really just I dug it all the way around. Uh, really, really good stuff. And so that, as I said, that's a 9 out of 10. Uh, that leads us to Uncanny X-Force number 30. After last, the last couple issues were really stellar, this really felt like a step down, um, which is too bad. It was still a good issue, and I like that it was the while you're away kind of issue, which isn't the first time an X-Force title has done that. Uh, during Messiah War, there is the issue where, well, this wasn't a full issue, but at the end of an issue, when they when X-Force was time travel time travel out of where they were, uh, a character died. It was really mad, like really brutal. And then when they came back, then it, obviously it changed that, and we got a glimpse of what that was like. This is an issue where we have. Uh, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants have taken control of Evan, uh, who obviously is like the boy apocalypse, and they're trying to kind of make him realize who he is, what he is, how he's been lied to his entire life, um, how his parents aren't even real, uh, Phantom X lied to him, and everyone's lied to him, and he has to understand the truth. Pretty pretty good issue. Uh, not Remender's strongest. The artwork could have been a little bit better as well. Dave Williams, I'm not really that familiar with him. Uh, considering we're at Chapter 6 of Final Execution, I'm feeling like this is the exact same thing that happened with the Dark Angel saga. A lot of stuff is happening, it's all over the place, it's from one extreme to another, and it's not necessarily all being explained in a, in a clear, concise, you know, A to B way. It's more like A, B, D, C, E, V, you know, like, it's jumping around. I like it because he, they, he tells some really good stories, but it's not a really cohesive narrative that you can just kind of follow along and, and you're building at each point. It's more like very disparate, different types of stories are all kind of happening to tie into one big story, just like in the Dark Angel saga. That being said, it's still pretty solid. Um, great, great version. Like, I really like the writing on Shadow Cat. Sorry, Shadow Cat. Shadow King, sorry. Um, I like how Evan's being portrayed and how this crisis of conscience and how, and the fact that they keep trying to push him to tap into, you know, his kind of more evil, uh, violent apocalypse side. Uh, pretty cool stuff. I like Dakin and Sabretooth together and hanging out is oddly fulfilling. I don't know why. That just kind of works. Like, they both hate Wolverine, so why not put them together? It, it's strange. It's a very odd pairing, but it does work. Um, so I gave that issue a 7 out of 10. Brings us to Winter Soldier number nine. Fantastic! I'm so upset that Brubaker is actually going to be leaving this book soon. Um, I I might still follow it. I'm not really sure. This is a really solid book. Brubaker and Lark have just they're just the the the, the right team to do a story about this version of Bucky Barnes as the Winter Soldier. This issue really cool. It's him and uh, Jasper Sitwell trying to fil- figure out where Natasha is, what's happened to her. Uh, because uh, obviously the guy has been hunting, uh, Bucky has been, you know, has kidnapped uh, Black Widow and has kind of regressed her to her prior state when she was originally brainwashed and uh, an agent, and she was like a ballerina agent. Um, really cool concepts here. Uh, really solid action. Very great, like you know, crime thriller noir. Uh, I love seeing Bucky and uh, Natasha, you know, really throw down. Um, uh, it's just really, really solid stuff. Really enjoyable. 
uh, I can't wait to see what happens next in this storyline. Um, and really, I just I I love everything about this book and. Uh, the ending here is a great cliffhanger. The idea that, you know, that they rescue Black Widow, but maybe that's not such a good thing. Maybe they haven't been able to stop all the programming, and she's just as dangerous, if not more so than normal. And uh, what does this mean for those that have been helping Bucky out behind the scenes? Uh, and it looks pretty brutal and violent. Uh, this is just a really, really entertaining book. Every issue is just a very solid story. Lark is... One of the most, um, he's one of those artists who really has such a defined style. And I don't know what I'm going to feel about this book because the next uh, writer is actually also going to be doing the art. And it's going to be such a different change in tone. Where it, maybe it won't be, but I anticipate it probably will be. And I don't know if that I'll be able to survive on this book with such a change. Uh, just because it's been such an enjoyable thrill ride with such a great uh, realistic look to it. Very, It's dark and gritty without being overly overly dark and gritty it's more realistic and it, it has that really cool noir uh or like espionage thriller flavor uh so i give that a nine out of ten next issue is wolverine and the x-men number 15 uh this is one of those avx tie-ins it just kind of feels like things are happening and it doesn't really care where it takes place and it's just kind of it's going to do stuff and it's going to throw things together and it's going to be entertaining damn it um that's kind of how i felt like i felt like this issue is after the events of AVX-10. Still got two more issues to go. This is kind of wedged in between. Nothing that's in here will probably ref be reflected in any of the other books. Because that's just the way these times have been rocking it. Uh, that being said, I liked it. Jason Aaron is the writer with Jorge Molina doing the art. Um, pretty strong character pieces overall. You got an interesting conversation between Hope and Wolverine. You, I absolutely love the character Brew. He is probably my favorite new character to, of this year and last. Um, every issue he's in, he's just adorable. He steals the the show. Here he shows up. Uh, you know, Beast and Iron Man being so brilliant. And then Iron Man wants him to be like his new best friend, and Bruce just beside himself with giddy, like giddy excitement. He is the cutest character that's ever been in an X Men book. He's a joy to read. In fact, most of these characters are. I liked having Xavier in the book when he's having a nice conversation with Rachel, although I hate her current design. I liked uh, their interaction with Kid Omega. Um, I, I like what they've done with Gladiator and Kid, uh, Kid Gladiator, and Kid Gladiator having to leave the school, but Deathbird staying behind. Um, just, I'm uh, sorry, Warbird, not Deathbird. Uh, really, really strong book. Uh, there's so many different characters in here, and yet they all get a chance to shine. They all get a chance to kind of really be interesting to read and just really, really dug this. And then the last page, I don't know what it's going to matter that this team is now kind of walking out to kind of do what they've got to do together. And I don't well, I don't know why it looks like Beast has bullets on his chest or maybe they're vials or something, who knows. Um, but pretty cool. Um, great book. I've been enjoying it since the beginning. Uh, it really puts Uncanny X-Men to shame. As I said, I give that an 8 out of 10. Uh, you'll notice there are five books from the, the big two that I did not end up going over this week. Uh, they are Extreme X-Men number two by Greg Pak. Uh, and I 
apologize. I can't think of the artist's name right now. I didn't end up reading this one. Not, neither did I read Hulk number 57. New Mutants number 48. I would have read it, but the artwork looked absolutely terrible. I liked the story in the last issue, so I'm sure I would have enjoyed it, but the artwork was basically stay away from this. That's what it felt like. It looked like Bill Sinkowicz. Um, Sinkowicz? I don't know how to pronounce that name correctly. It felt like it was trying to be him, but just looked messier, if that's even possible. Uh... Superman Annual number one, I read the first couple pages, did not want to read the rest, take from that where you will, and I also uh, didn't really want to read Web of Spider-Man 129.2, it's the second part of the Brooklyn Avengers storyline, that I have absolutely zero interest in, I flipped through a few of the pages, the artwork is atrocious, um, the storyline is unappealing, um, maybe there's something there, but I just don't think it, it, there actually is. Originally, I'd planned to buy the trade of all these uh, one-shot issues, just so I could have them all in a nice collected edition, um, as opposed to just having all the one-shots, which I have already. Uh, did not, don't ever want to do that at all now. I couldn't even read this issue. I couldn't, these issues haven't been nearly as entertaining or as cool as they could have been. I really like that they're bringing back the old titles with the weird point one numbering and then point two in most cases, but at least it's kind of neat. But in in actual um, the way it's actually worked out, no, I'm not interested at all. They were not that good at all. So those are all the reviews that we'll be doing for the week of uh, Wednesday, August 29th. Again, this has been episode five of Comic Shenanigans. Please uh, be tune tune in to episode six coming soon, uh, where I'll be talking with my two special guests, Paul Scores and Nathan Struck, about their top five favorite and least favorite X Men stories and or issues. Um, I'm really excited about that storyline. Hopefully, we'll come up with some weird uh, weird decisions and options and and picks for each of those two categories. The next review episode of Comic Shenanigans will be up on Friday, September the 7th, and we'll look at all the comics that came out on the week of uh, Wednesday, September the 5th. Until that time, have yourself a great shenanigan today. And I am your host, Adam Chapman, signing off. Thanks for listening.